have a story you're bursting to tell the world. Are you sick of being rejected by the publishing establishment? Do you want to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling indie author Steph Green, for Rage Against the Manuscript, where we explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hey writers, it's Steph here again. It is a beautiful day here in New Zealand and I am here today to talk to you all about writing tropes in your fiction. And the reason we're talking about this is like the way we, last week we talked about um, the skeleton drafting method that I use to outline my books. And yeah, and this week we're talking about tropes. And you may be asking yourself, you may be asking yourself, well, this is supposed to be a self-publishing podcast, Steph. So, you know, you're supposed to be talking about like marketing books and like selling more books and making lots of money. And so why are we talking about these craft aspects? And the reason that we're doing that is because I am starting to realize, and, and I, I do firmly believe, that the marketing of your books and the self-publishing process and the process of you know becoming a career, a career author, that starts with the, with the craft. And, and in a lot of ways it kind of starts and ends with the craft. Because if you don't write a book that readers want to read, then all of the marketing efforts that you do are going to fail. It's just true. So, with that in mind, I'm going to be doing, over the, the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing a lot of um, podcast episodes and some articles and things which are more about the actual craft of crafting a story and thinking about what readers want to read from the very beginning. So, let's get into it. So, as I said, today we're talking about tropes. So what are tropes in fiction? Basically, tropes are reader crack. They are commonly used literary devices, and tropes can include settings, they can include plot twists, um, characters, story arcs, and all different kinds of aspects of a story. But the, the key thing to know about tropes is that they're, they're basically a shorthand for story elements, for common story elements. So readers can talk, they can use tropes to talk about books and compare them and group them together and kind of think about literary devices and, and stories in a kind of a collective way. So tropes are almost like genre. When we talk about genre, you know, the reason that we have genres is so that when you walk into a bookshop, you can immediately go to the section, which is shit you want to read, and you can find a book that interests you. And so genres are kind of used to divide books into groups to make it easier for readers to find what they want. And tropes are kind of like a, a narrowed-down version of that. They are story elements that we can use to group books into different categories so that readers can find books on like a micro level that they want to read and they can talk about books and they can they can talk about stories um, together. Many readers say that they hate tropes and that tropes are cliches and that they don't want tropey books and they don't want tropey tv shows and, and they're, they're done with tropes but what readers say and what they do are often two completely different things. And what readers do with their wallets 
as they say, trope it up. Readers buy books which are tropey. And that is why, you know, the biggest fiction genres and, and you know, the places to make a living as a writer, um, if you're a fiction writer, are in commercial fiction genres like mysteries, like fantasy, like science fiction, like romance, like young adult, uh, because these genres are filled with these tropes. So tropes can also be convenient for you as a storyteller. For example, in young adult, a really common trope is for the hero or the heroine to be an orphan. Now, the reason that this trope is so common is because, you know, if you've got teenage characters, you need a way to make those characters really easily independent and active in their own story. And that's really hard to do when they have a really close relationship with their parents and they're still living with their parents and their parents are still kind of overseeing their decisions. So the, the trope of the main character being an orphan is kind of a shorthand, not just for readers, but it's a shorthand for writers to be able to get the kids away from their parents so that they can have adventures and you know and, and push the story forward as active participants instead of like these passive you know kind of passive kids which is you know probably more what things are like in real life. So some writers like to play with this trope um, by having other ways to, to um, take the parents out of the picture. So we just read a really great book called The Liar's Daughter, which is a young adult book about a cult. And it's quite interesting because, um, you know, the, the cult is all about um, the, the father who's this, you know, this overbearing figure who basically makes all the decisions for them. But what they've done is divided the the commune, um, the you know the, the cult kind of commune into two sections. So all the children live together away from the mother and father. So that was the way that the author got our protagonist away from that father figure, um, so that she could have that she could be an active character, even though we could see that. She was very much ruled and controlled by this, this guy, even from a distance. There's a lot of really interesting things going on with that trope in this book. Um, and you'd have to read it, because um, I don't want to spoil it, but you'd have to read it to kind of... Um, and then we can discuss it over, you know, over a drink. Um, but yeah, The Liar's Daughter, a very good book. This is also a really common trope in new adult books, which is mainly a, a romance genre with characters who are sort of aged 18 to 24. So these are characters that are finishing or have finished high school and they're moving on to college or they're moving on to their post-high school life. And it's more common in new adult, uh, not for parents to be dead, um, because, you know, also, the other thing is that in young adult, if your parents are dead and you're an orphan, then you, that's automatically like a sympathy generator for the reader. Um, but in new adult, parents are usually not dead. They're usually just complete bastards. Um, you know, they're often rich and they're remote or, or they're abusive. And, you know, the reason that writers do this is because, again, um, it's really convenient for storytelling because a big part of the new adult genre uh, and, and the tropes around new adult is about basically making the books just as, like, angsty as possible. And so you just want to throw a heap of bollocks on top of your protagonists. And a really easy way to do that is to make the parents act 
objectively terrible people. So with young adult, with new adult, the tropes are so, so, so important. Uh, And you think about this in terms of, well, why are the readers reading these genres? And the reason that they are is, is basically... You, probably, you might not know this, but young adult and new adult are not majority read by um, actual young adults and actual people in the age group. Um, over half of the readers are adults. And so why are adults reading these books uh, you know, set in the high school and set in college? And, and the reason is because you, you know, it's kind of the same reason why you know, we as adults love to watch um, high school movies is because we kind of want a little bit of reliving that high school experience but kind of from the the safety of you know of our own home so you know we want to relive all that that this kind of like crazy highs and lows of all the you know the hormone laced feelings that you have um, but you you know you don't actually have to go back because I don't think that none of us want to actually go back. Um, but we do love these books where it's reliving the high school experience, and so as part of that, um, what the readers expect is to is to live through those typical high school settings and, and you know and sort of set pieces as part of the story. So that's things like, you know, the parents are out of town, so there's a house party, um, you know, the, the, the school dance, um, the cafeteria uh, politics, the student council run, all these things are really important um, as part of the reader experience. And so if you're writing young adult and new adult, for example, it's really good to think about why the readers want um, to read these tropes and, and you know and what experience they're trying to get out of of your genre and then that can help you kind of inform well what things do I want to include and what things do I not want to include and that goes not just for young adult new adult but it goes for all genres you know think about why do people read fantasy you know why do people read romance and, and, you know and, and because that informs the tropes that have become popular in those genres on the other hand if your story is just a list of tropes st- strung together, it's possible that you could be insanely popular. There are lots of super popular authors that literally just do this. Or your story could feel derivative and unoriginal. And personally, you know, if me, for myself, I like to believe that I am not going to be the exception to the rule. And the general rule in this kind of area is that if you just pile tropes and pile tropes on top of each other, uh, then you're probably going to feel quite derivative. And there are exceptions to that rule, and they are very successful exceptions, um, but I just choose to believe that I'm not going to be the exception. And the other thing is that if you do this, if your book is literally just tropes strung together, then it could also feel really boring for you to write um, as the author. And none of us want to be bored while we're writing because this is our, you know, this is our passion, this is our hobby, um, this is our, our career, our dream. And so, you know, if you're feeling bored, then fuck it, don't do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to lean into the tropes that act as this reader shorthand. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that fuel reader expectations without kind of doing this where we just string tropes together. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So first thing I guess is just, you know, why should you write tropes? And we've kind of already covered this, but basically you should be writing tropes or thinking about tropes when you write because readers, the people who are actually going to be purchasing your book, actually going to be reading your book, readers love tropes. Sometimes they say they don't, but they lie. They love tropes. And so we're all about giving the readers what they love um, while also enjoying writing our books. And I bet you as a reader, enjoy certain tropes. And I think it's really important to look at your own reading habits and look at your own favourite books and look at the things about those books that you love and whether those things are, you know, are tropes in your genre. When you have a list of tropes, um, you know, when you've when you've kind of thought about these things, um, it's good to start thinking about how you can incorporate these tropes into your stories. So, one way that you can do this is from the very beginning when you are you know you're thinking about an idea is to actually instead of starting with the idea is to actually start with a trope that you love so start by thinking you know hey i would really like to write this type of story you know with this type of trope so this is a really common way that uh, romance authors because we're very big on tropes how romance authors work on stories so romance readers are very, very vocal about the fact that they will often buy books solely based on tropes. And so romance authors are very overt about saying, this is the tropes you can expect in this book. So if you look at romance, at the blurbs for romance books, you'll often see they say things like, this is a marriage of convenience book. This is a second chance romance. This is a secret baby romance. Um, and all these things are really common tropes. And, and you know, readers say things like, oh, I really love a secret baby romance. And they will read 20 secret baby romances in a week. And those are the kind of readers you want. So sometimes romance authors will, you know, they'll be planning a series and they'll think, well, you know, book one is going to be Marriage of Convenience, book two is going to be A Secret Baby, book three is going to be Enemies to Lovers. So they go like this. So that's one thing that you can do. You can actually start with the trope that you love and you can build the story around that trope and around subverting it and reconstructing it and, and, and thinking about how you want to give it your own spin. So for example... I have a book that I wrote uh, a number of years ago called Inking the Wolf. And this is book three in a paranormal romance series. And this series was really um, the first time I ever sort of sat down to write a series thinking really carefully about things like tropes and about writing to market and about what readers, you know, what readers want first and foremost. And so each book I kind of picked a trope. And for the, the story Inking the Wolf, which is the third book in the series, I started with my favourite trope in romance, or one of my favourite tropes, which is the marriage of convenience trope. Now, marriage of convenience is very interesting um, because usually it's not, it's not so often found in modern contemporary you know, books in a, set in, a, in our time. And the reason for that is it's quite hard nowadays to kind of think of a situation where a marriage of convenience is like a common thing. However, it's a super common trope in historical romance, which is obviously one of the most popular romance subgenres. So I love marriage of convenience, but I wanted to take the marriage of convenience and I wanted to bring it into the modern world. And the other thing... Um, that I wanted to do with the marriage of convenience trope is that usually the marriage of convenience is initiated 
by the male in a, a male-female romance. So it's usually more to do with them and their needs than it is to do with, with the woman. And the man has some kind of, you know, the hero has uh, some kind of bargaining chip that he can use to get uh, the heroine to agree to this. Now, I wanted to subvert that so that was the, 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 the heroine who had to have the marriage of convenience. And I loved, I loved this idea. And it, it was a really popular book of the series, so, you know, it, it, it totally worked. So I had this marriage of convenience. And, you know, the basically I came up with the sort of the heroine had this crazy old grandmother who was going to give her a house. And the heroine wanted to use the house uh, to start like an art, you know, like an art community, an art space. And that was her dream. And she couldn't do that unless she fulfilled the requirements of her grandmother's will. And her grandmother said that she had to marry a man. And the heroine was um, bisexual and her grandmother didn't approve of that. Uh, and so she put this in her, in her will basically to kind of drag the heroine into line. And our heroine, whose name is Bianca, said, if this... You know, I'm doing things my own way. So she had this sham marriage that was very openly sham with her best friend um, in order to get this house. And, you know, the, the whole point was that, you know, was that she was kind of spitting in, in her grandmother's face. Um, but then she ended up falling in love with uh, with Robbie, the, the, the best friend, who, you know, agreed to the marriage. So... That's how you can kind of, that, that's one example of how you can subvert and deconstruct um, these, these tropes. Um, or, if you have an idea first, you know, so you've got the kind of the hook of the story in your head, and we, we talk about this a lot when I talk about my skeleton drafting method. So if you've got the kind of the hook of the story in your head, you can then use that hook to spin off different ideas just by thinking about the tropes of your genre. So for example, when I wrote my series Mandalay Academy, um, it started with this idea that I had um, based on a, a, a true life haunting story that I heard. Um, and so I had this idea about um, the heroine who goes to an elite music school and then um, you know, there are ghosts uh, who, who are haunting her. And yeah, so the idea is inspired by this true story. Um, so I took this idea and I thought, well, there are ghosts, so it's probably going to be quite gothic. So I leaned into the really common tropes of gothics and gothic romances. So those are tropes like the, the kind of the evil old witch character, um, the, the lover who has secrets, um, the house uh, that, that seems to be alive. Um, and I also leaned into common romance tropes, so second chance romance, um, fish out of water, and some of the new adult uh, college tropes, uh, because the heroines go to college. And so just by thinking about those tropes, I start to think of scenes, you know, who is the heroine's lover who has who has secrets, you know, who is the evil odd witch, you know, probably she's going to be the the principal of the of the college, you know, she's going to be in charge of the college. So you start to get this image of who she is uh, just by thinking about these tropes. 
so because of this, um, tropes can help you build your your first draft. Um, you know, for instance, using the skeleton drafting methods. You know, this is how I build my my skeleton draft as I start to spin off from the tropes, and that builds scenes, and then the scenes build on top of each other, and then before you know it, you have a draft of a book. Um, one recommendation uh, that a lot of people have is that when you're kind of using this tropey method to spin out um, the ideas of a story is to, to, to basically make a list and then for each, for each kind of point on the list, for each trope, is to kind of think of two or three different ways that you could use that. And what that often does is your first way that you come up with um, so, for instance, the the evil old witch trope, um, which is very common in gothics, where there's a character who is kind of directly antagonistic. You know, they're basically the antagonist, but they have a lot of qualities um, that are almost like kind of like a storybook witch. And so you take you know you take that evil old witch trope, and you can then build out two or three different ways that you can incorporate that into your story. So the, 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 the first obvious one is the evil of which could be a stepmother. Um, that's very common, you know, kind of, that's very common gothic. Um, and then the second one, you know, is, is that she could be the, the, the teacher. Uh, and the third one is that she, you know, is that she could actually be a he, and he could be the father of one of the students, something like that. Um, so... And what, what happens when you do this is that your first idea is probably going to be kind of a cliche, but once you get past that first idea, your second and your third ideas are a bit more creative, and that's when you can start to subvert and deconstruct and reconstruct these tropes and make the story your own. So one good example of this is uh, in Harry Potter, Harry is the chosen one. And this is an insanely popular trope. It's in pretty much every single fantasy book you could ever imagine. But what is interesting about Harry is he is the chosen one basically because his enemy chose him. And that's a really cool twist. Neil Gaiman, uh, the author Neil Gaiman, does this um, so well in so many of his stories, just subverting tropes and playing with them um, in ways that feel really familiar to us, but also really really unique and really beautiful. Um, in his book Neverwhere, um, it, it's a basic quest trope, you know, the hero has to go and do these things, and then at the end, um, the whole thing about quest tropes is that at the end you get to go back to your old life, and you maybe changed a bit, um, but you know, you're, you know, you take all the good qualities that you, about yourself that you've learned on your quest and you take them back to where you belong and you make, you know, where you belong a better place. And, that, and that's basically the trope. Richard, um, the main character in Neverwhere, he goes home and he basically realises that, you know, because of the world he has lived in, um, the people and the life that he used to have doesn't matter to him anymore, and it's very bittersweet. Um, but it feels more—it feels more realistic. It feels more true, and it's very, very beautiful. Um, and yeah, it, it's a really good example of um, uh, subverting um, a really common trope. So, how do you figure out the tropes in your fiction, or figure out? Um, tropes that you might like to use. So the first thing that you can do is Google them. As if you just, you know, 
the answer to most things in life is, well, you can Google it. And, you know, don't underestimate the power of simply typing in common fantasy tropes or common young adult tropes. And you'll end up with lots of people who will have written lists. Um, and I just had one today, which is 101 fantasy tropes. So there's quite a lot of tropes you can play with. Now, the other really good thing to know is that there is a great website called TV Tropes. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for you. And TV Tropes is basically a website where people, uh, it's kind of like a wiki, and people break down and deconstruct tropes and make big lists and link the lists together of different tropes in every imaginable genre and what they mean and how they work and examples. It is, for fiction writers, it is an incredible resource and you you, all you have to do is go to the page of the, the, the trope or the trope group you're interested in and you will end up with a hundred ideas on how to um, expand your story and build a story using tropes. Uh, it's such a great resource. And then of course the third thing is to look at what you read and especially what you read in the genre that you're going to be writing in. And you should be write, reading in the genre that you're writing in. And if you aren't, uh, why are you writing in that genre? Yes, so <laughs> you should be looking at what you read. Um, you should be looking at the kind of books that attract you and what it is about those books that attract you. You know, I am someone who often thought, you know, often used to think, I, you know, I don't read tropes, you know, tropes are cliches and cliches are boring and, you know, I have a wide, uh, you know, reading palette and blah blah blah. Uh, and it turns out if you look at, you know, like the last 10 fiction books that I, um, you know, had purchased, um, often what they all have in common is um, they all link to um, certain tropes that I love. Um, so, you know, I, I've said this before, I'm a big fan of um, the gothic tropes and so uh, in my own books that I write, um, but also in nearly every fiction book that I read, there's some element of gothic tropes. Um, often there's um, inheriting uh, big houses, um, you know, there's kind of houses or buildings as, you know, a, a, as a character that, that feel alive in some way. Um, yeah, you know, all these kind of things. Um, so look at what you read and what tropes um, appeal to you and you'll start to be able to notice the patterns in tropes and how authors take tropes and use them to create their own unique stories. So yeah, basically that is all I wanted to talk about today with tropes. I hope you found it really interesting. I'm going to be going much, much, much more in, in depth on tropes and how to use them in my upcoming course, which is all about plotting a book, outlining a book, and, you know, creating an amazing book that readers are going to love. Um, I'm so excited to dive into this, and I hope you're going to be really excited to be to be part of the course and part of the community uh, that we're building. So yeah, um, stay tuned for more information about the upcoming plotting course. Um, and yeah, keep your eye on the Rage Against the Manuscript website because I've got lots of cool things coming up. And yeah, basically, yay! Um, I'm really excited to hear about the kind of tropes that you love to read and that you love to write over on the Rage Against the Manuscript Facebook group. Basically, yeah, that's all for this week. Happy writing.